following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. One of the things that we kind of know as Christians, if you've been in the church for any length of time, is that as Christians, we are expected to live differently. And part of that includes how we relate to the people that we come across in day-to-day life. And it's been a while, but I can remember the first time that I intentionally helped a stranger because I wanted to honor and obey Jesus. Now, there was probably times that I had helped strangers before or helped people before, but this time was different. I wanted to help somebody because I was trying to honor Jesus. And it was a, a person who was, it was in downtown Cleveland where I went and got lunch. I didn't, was not my neighborhood, not my community. And, and I will tell you this, I helped him financially only to find out that I had been conned. I got scammed. And the reality is that probably doesn't shock any of you. In fact, I saw heads nodding as soon as I said that. Because the truth is, we live in a world that makes it easy to be cold towards people who have need. Because there are scams. There are dishonest people. There are lazy people who won't work, but say that they will. But I know as a, pa- as a Christian, forget the pastor, I know that that doesn't mean that I should stop helping people, but it can be hard to want to help people when you know that we live in such a fallen and broken world where dishonesty and laziness are sometimes rewarded. I remember when I was working in, I was in seminary and I was working at one of the facilities with the lock, kid, kids in lockdown. And one of the kids told me that at church he stole money from the offering plates. And so here I am as a pastor trying to, a guy trying to learn to be a pastor. And I'm, it's hard to not get jaded. And when we get calls from people in the community asking for assistance, believe you me, it's easy to get jaded. Because there's always some wild story that if you ask just two questions, maybe three, the story comes crashing down like a stack, a, a house of cards, and then you listen as they try to rebuild the story to continue to try to scam you out of money. Now, you say, well, that's awfully harsh, but it's, well, it's the truth. And so the challenge becomes as Christians, we know that God expects us to live differently, to not simply close our hearts to the world because we are aware that people lie, that people uh, have financial problems because they don't work, or that they have personal problems because they keep making bad decisions. We know that. And with all the dishonesty, all of the challenges, it's very easy to become jaded and cold and hard-hearted. But I've been a Christian for a long time, and I know that in spite of all that, Jesus has expectations for how I treat other people. So not loving my neighbor is not really an option. And I think you know that too. But it's hard to know how to do this well in a world that is that it makes it so easy to harden our hearts and close them to those in need. Sometimes, a lot of times, 
it feels like the wise thing to do is to say, I have a policy of no assistance for people I don't know. But in our morning, our passage this morning, I have to warn you up front that Jesus is going to challenge us Christians as He often does. Join me if you would in Luke chapter 10. We're breaking this week from the book of Revelation, just kind of uh, to kind of tell you how I arrived at this with this passage. As we worked our way through the seven letters of the churches, and we're not done, there's a few more left. The last three weeks, while they were very relevant, the first sermon, the first letter from Jesus to the church of Ephesus, I think was most applicable to Baptist churches like ours. Here, just to remind you, to bring you, bring it all together, uh, Jesus celebrates this church in Ephesus because they won't tolerate false teachers. The problem was they seemed like they had forgotten how to love. And then he rebukes them and says, uh, repent, remember how far you've fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. So this idea that those who are like us who love the Bible might also struggle with be, showing love towards people, I think that's a very timely message because we all know full well that it's hard to keep an open heart towards the world. In Luke, let me give you a little backdrop of where we're at so we can kind of be oriented to the passage. Jesus, as He's gone through His ministry, He attracts people. But many, or perhaps most of them, would not commit to following Him for various reasons. Some reasons seemed, well, rather reasonable. One of them said, hey Jesus, I, I will follow you, but let me first go bury my father. And Jesus is like, let the dead bury their own dead. Come and follow me. So Jesus seemed rather unreasonable. And so the guy didn't want to follow. And others, they were listening to Jesus teach. He said something that was hard to, uh, to accept. And so people left. Today, even today, people hear there are certain things, probably in every generation, that they read the Bible and they say, this is hard to accept. This generation has its own things that are hard to accept. And so for some various reasons, they might stop following Jesus. Others did in fact try to follow Jesus and obey Him, but they found His expectations to be almost impossible in human strength. They were unmanageable. But that isn't hard to imagine, is it? That Jesus, what He calls us to do, is actually borders on impossible, if not impossible, in our own strength. And it is not even hard to imagine that people who want to follow Jesus might argue with Him. Peter, he, when Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be shamefully treated, he says, he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God at heart. You're just thinking about the things of man. So it's not hard to imagine people wanting to argue with Jesus about what He said, what He taught, and about his expectations. People like to debate Jesus. They like to debate about him and debate what he teaches. Is it reasonable to expect people to obey him? People like to debate Jesus. Sometimes silently in their mind. Sometimes vocally. And in our passage this morning, as they often did, a lawyer shows up to debate this great rabbi named Jesus. We see this in Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, we'll begin with 25 to 28. Keep your Bible open, we're going to read our whole passage. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's Word. 
A lawyer shows up to debate a rabbi. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for today and this opportunity to gather together as a church family. I pray that you would help us to accept your teaching and your challenge to us to love others from the heart, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this lawyer shows up, he's heard about Jesus' teaching, and he shows up to challenge him. How do I inherit eternal life? What shall I do? Now, inheritance, usually you just receive it because somebody else passed away. But he says, what shall I do? And so he's asking the question, what, are the, what laws do I do? So Jesus says, well, how do you read the Old Testament? So they're having this back and forth, answering questions with a question. Very Jewish rabbi thing to do. And so he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means put exertion, put effort into your love for God. What you say, what you do, what you feel, how you talk, love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why as yourself? Well, uh, when, I have a ban- when, I have a, when I'm bleeding, no one has to convince me to put a Band-Aid on it, to clean my wound. When I'm hungry, no one has to convince me that I should go to the refrigerator and make a sandwich and thus solve my hunger need. When it's cold outside, uh, it doesn't take a lot of convincing to go get a coat. And so the idea is if you would take care of yourself, you should also take care of your neighbor similarly from the heart. And so Jesus says, well done, good answer. Do this and you shall live. Now, I'm reading this, and I'm imagining Jesus just letting that sentence hang out there. Do this and you shall live. I think he was challenging him. Because ultimately, what he's wanting to do is bring out of the man what was in him. And so, his heart would be revealed. And so, the response of the lawyer is that, as we'll see in verse 29, he wants to prove himself to be righteous. And so he asks a follow-up question in, in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That idea of justify myself, the idea there is that he wanted to, to prove that he was righteous, that he had obeyed the law to the law to the letter, and then he says, well, Who's my neighbor? He wants to know what the extent is. And most likely he would have expected to hear something like, Jews, those are my neighbors. You're Jewish, so those people are the people that live close to you. Because the Old Testament would say something like, your neighbor lives close to you for, your, for his protection. And so uh, don't withhold assistance to him if it's in your hand to do it. And, and so forth. He expected Jesus to give him a very manageable answer about how to demonstrate that he was righteous. He wanted to know, I think he wanted to know the limits of the law. And he expected to hear something manageable. Something he could do to prove that he was righteous. 
We want Jesus to give us manageable expectations. Hard perhaps, but doable. But His expectations, as we're about to see, are not manageable. At least not in our own strength. So Jesus then, uh, to teach the point, He teaches a parable to explain what it means to really love your neighbor. And He begins this parable with two men of God who have an opportunity to love someone in need. Begin with verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a 17-mile trip downhill. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. That's good. Priests are men of God. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He went out of his way to avoid getting entangled in this mess. Verse 32, So likewise the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. When I lived in a small town, sometimes I would see this. Uh, People would run into somebody at the grocery store, or they would see him, and they would duck down the other aisle to avoid having to talk to them. Why would they do that? I don't know. There's a lot of reasons. I came up with two. Number one, they don't like the person. Or perhaps they've got a grudge against them, and they're just not in the mood to talk to them right now and pretend that everything's okay. And so they duck down the aisle. Or maybe they're just in a hurry, and they know, you know, they know Paul talks forever, so we're going to walk the other way because I've got to get going to where I'm going. Whatever the case is, we've, ever, we've probably all seen, you might have even done it, avoid people because you didn't have time to talk or didn't want to get mixed up with a mess. And so we have these two people, these religious men, who avoid the guy. Walk on the, they walk out of their way to avoid helping this guy. Now remember, the question was, who is my neighbor? And they're in the middle of nowhere. I wonder why they avoided helping him. Were they trying to make sure they didn't become unclean? Priests couldn't touch a dead body and then go and make the sacrifices. But that doesn't make sense because the man is going away from Jerusalem, not to it. He was going to Jericho, not the place where you make sacrifices. So maybe it's because... Uh, They don't know what religious background he has. They don't know how he got there. Maybe he brought it on himself, and if I help, then I'm getting in the way of God straightening him out. I don't know why they avoided him. Perhaps it was because they were in the middle of nowhere, and therefore the man was not their neighbor and was in fact a stranger. Perhaps they felt no legal obligation under the Old Testament law to love him. Because he wasn't their neighbor. This was no man's land. Perhaps they'd been burned before and conned the last time they helped somebody. Whatever the reason was, Jesus' point is loud and clear. There was no excuse for their heartlessness. They just didn't care. They had things to do. The guy was a mess. He was beaten and bloodied. Maybe he brought it on himself. Maybe he's a gang member. And so now he's bleeding out in the street. He brought it on himself. I'm not going to help that guy. I hope that's not your attitude. I don't think that's Calvary. 
But that, who knows what the reasoning were. Whatever the reason, Jesus' point was loud and clear. There was no excuse for their heartlessness. Their lack of caring was unacceptable. We often wrestle with excuses for why we don't want to help people in need. They brought it on themselves. They just need to make better choices. They're a con artist. Listen, as a guy who gets phone calls from the community, listen, when I hear, and I've gotten these phone calls many times, I've got two able-bodied adults living in the house. One works, one won't, and they want us to pay the rent. That's hard to want to have compassion for. And maybe it's the wrong thing to do to show compassion. Maybe the lights need to be turned off by the power company so they would learn to not spend $4 on energy drinks. I have had people call me. I'm, I'm afraid to tell you these stories because you're going to be like, I don't want to help anybody. The pastor's trying to say, love your neighbor, and he just gave me seven more reasons why I shouldn't. A young man called me. He used to be in my youth groups, and he calls me out of the blue, and he's like, hey, Pastor Dan, hey, buddy, good to hear from you. Hey, I need help. Of course I want help. Long story short, you get into the situation. He's a young man. Who's, he's actually on disability, and he gets his, his $711 check every month. For the first thing he does is buy energy drinks. Bad move, but worse, his mom who had been out of the picture, which was normally not a good thing, but in this case it was, was trying to, he was the golden goose. And he says, Pastor, I need help. Oh, and I did try to help. I tried to get him back home with Grandma and Grandpa because Grandma and Grandpa took good care of him. Mom knew this and was trying to run interference the whole time. And so when I gave the help he really needs, since he couldn't go back home to grandma and grandpa, I said, okay, fine, your mom needs to get a job. And well, you, you can apply on the internet. You can come into the church. We will let you use the internet and the computer. And I keep repeating this. And finally he goes, I think you're saying we need to get a job. And I'm like, exactly. And I will help you do that. Because if I help you today, you will still be broke next week. And you will go to the next guy and ask him to help. Because eventually, eventually, the bank of Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church is going to run out of money for you. You follow? It is easy to grow jaded to that. But it gets really complicated when there's children in the mix. And I became known as the sucker who would help anybody if the children were included in the story. It is easy to not want to love, but Jesus doesn't let me off the hook. He just doesn't. Why don't we want to help? I've seen people, uh, and I love them to death. They see there's a need. They know they can do something, but then they talk themselves out of it. Have you ever done that? I have. I hate to say it. I hate to say it when I've actually met needs, my attitude was not always good. My friend Brandon said one day, and I stole it because it was true of me, he said, I've given guys 20 bucks just to get them out of my office because he didn't have time for it. See, Jesus, or oh, here's where we're going. 
He doesn't just want us to do the right thing. He wants us to do it for the right reason. This is all over the Old Testament. Here's what God's criticism of Israel was. You ready? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is getting to the heart of this lawyer's problem. The heart is the issue. Guard the heart because from it flow all the issues of life. Just a brief survey of some of Jesus' teaching. You ready? Some guys who thought they were really good because they hadn't had an affair. And Jesus says, hey, if you looked at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart. You think you're good because you didn't murder anybody? Well, guess what? If you hate somebody, you are a murderer at heart. See, what, when I look at this passage, and I'm guessing that most of you feel this way, I want to love people the way Jesus says we should. But I've seen too many things. My, one of my favorite, Christian heavy metal, it really is a thing. One line says, the things I've seen have tainted everything. And so while we, we recognize what Jesus is calling to us to, we say, I want to do that, but help my unbelief. We are Bible-believing Christians, and this is what Jesus is calling us to. And the challenge always is, is we see a need and we come up with reasons to not get involved. And these two holy men of God, a priest and his Levite. The Le priest made the sacrifices. The, least, the Levites came in, helped the priest do the work and manage other aspects of temple life. They did nothing. Ah, but then comes a foreigner who shows compassion. Verse 33 to 35. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritans were not well-respected people by the Jews. Jesus is needling this guy. Because he wants you to understand something. Geography and nationality are not the parameters that define what a neighbor is. And this Samaritan, what is a Samaritan? <laughs> the Jews were told not to intermingle with the other nations and let their wives and children marry the people from the other nations. The Assyrians came in and the Jews got with them and had children. The Samaritans were those children. And so the Jews viewed them as mutts. The Samaritans couldn't stand the self-righteous Jews. And the literature that you find when they wrote about each other, they hated each other. They didn't usually come to blows, but there was no love there. They didn't like each other or respect each other. And so now here's this Samaritan who's religious. His religion wasn't purebred either. And he shows up and he has compassion. The Greek word, heleos, compassion, pity, mercy. Verse 34, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. That's the ancient medicine for the wounds. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which Pastor Kurt reminded me yesterday is two days wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will come, I will repay you when I come back. So this guy... 
is walking down the road. He is in no man's land, sees a Jew, not even from the, they're from different sides of the track. The Jews from the suburbs, the Samaritans from inner city Cleveland. I don't know, Danville, Tilton, how that works for you guys, but wrong communities. And he goes out of his way to help this guy, even though their, their groups hadn't gotten along ever. And then he puts him on his beast of burden. His, he walks so this guy can ride. He becomes the servant, and he rides like the king. And then they go to the inn, and he pays for the hotel stay, and he says, give him, then he, when he leaves the next day, he makes arrangements. Watch this. He is not doing, you know sometimes we say, I did, it was the least I could do? This guy is not doing the least he can do. He gives two days labor worth of denarii. He says, take care of him, and if this doesn't cover it, I will pay for the rest when I return. This guy put himself on the hook. One of the reasons we don't get involved with helping is we're like, that need is too big, or I don't have the time, so I'm afraid to get on the hook, because I know if I start to help, I'm on the hook. Or the need is so great, I, what can one man do? What can one woman do in the face of this great need? Can I tell you one of the things that I've... This doesn't fix everything, but sometimes, when we're honest, we realize we can't fix what's broken for some people. The need is too great. One day I'm reading in the Bible and Jesus is preparing to be crucified. And while his disciples were slow to understand this, one of the women seemed to actually get this. So she comes in with this bottle, it's called alabaster flask, and breaks the bottle over his head and anoints him. And Judas says, hey, why all of this waste? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He was the money handler. And Jesus says, watch this. Leave her alone. She did what she could do. She couldn't keep Jesus from going to the cross. That was beyond her control. But she could honor Him. She did what she could do. You and I can't always fix what's broken in everybody. We can't fix what's broken in society. But we can do what we can do. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we, we like what Jesus is saying here, but when it comes down to brass tacks, sometimes we are get really good at talking ourselves out of it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. But I don't think so. So this foreigner shows up and he has set the standard. Here is how you love your neighbor. Jesus is making a point with this parable. Verse 36 and 37, he drives the point home. Which of these three men, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Pause for a second. That word proved, it's not a throwaway word. It goes links back to that verse 29 where the lawyer wants to justify himself to prove that he was righteous. So Jesus says, which one of these three proved to be a neighbor? Which one demonstrated just dealings with the neighbor? Verse 37, the lawyer, he said, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. And Jesus said to him, you go and do 
likewise. The one who showed compassion was proven to be the neighbor. We're a Bible-believing church. This is what Jesus is commanding us to do. Go and do likewise. Love others from a heart of compassion. It's hard to do in 2023 when there's a lot of deception. Because of social media, I get to know in the 24-hour news cycle, you get to know all the ways in which people come up with to lie, cheat, and steal. And it just sometimes, maybe it's, it's not worth the risk. Maybe it's unwise, but that doesn't really get us off the hook. So what do we do? Well, number one, I think we must not begin by looking for excuses to avoid getting involved. That can't be our starting place. I think the starting place is lead with love. Our neighbors, second, we must understand is our neighbors or anyone that we encounter as we travel through life. Our neighbors are anyone that we encounter as we travel through life. The lawyer wanted to know what's the limit of my obligation. And so the story was about people traveling away from home. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When on the road, do as the people do when they encounter strangers. We avoid them. No. Loving our neighbors involves meeting a need. Jesus taught us that to truly love our neighbor as ourselves requires us to meet their needs from hearts filled with compassion rather than merely a sense of legal obligation. Is that easy? I don't know about you, but I'm going to be... Here's confession time. You ready? It's one thing for me to say I will meet that need because I'm expected to. It's a whole other matter to meet that need because I am stirred from a heart of compassion. I don't know about you, but I want to live the way Jesus is calling me to. But I know it's not in me to do that. Jesus' expectations are rather difficult. One might say impossible. Jesus taught us that to truly love our neighbor as ourselves requires us to meet their needs from hearts filled with compassion rather than merely a sense of legal obligation. Sometimes people talk about being a Christian as though it's like, hey, once you get your sins forgiven, you get to do anything you want. There's no expectation placed on you. I don't read the New Testament that way at all. In fact, when you get to Galatians, I think it's 5 verse 10. I could be wrong on the address there, but it says this is the summary. It basically summarizes our law. You ready? Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 verse 8 through 10 says the same thing. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to do harm to them, essentially is my summary. And so we help. People have needs. There's a big shocker. Some of those needs are physical. Some of those are financial. People also need to be loved, welcomed, forgiven. They have spiritual needs, emotional needs. They need hope. And I put this one last 
because I know who I'm preaching to. People also need the truth. But they need it spoken in love. Or they're not likely to hear it. Instead of asking, who is my neighbor, which was another way of saying, what is the limit of my legal obligation before God? We should ask, how can I prove my love for people? How can I help? Begin with love. All the logistical questions will come up. What's the best way to help? That student that called me, I had to wrestle through what was the best way to help. He thought the best way to help pay for a month's rent, you know, first month's rent, last month's rent out of the church's budget. I knew better. But what I often see is when we begin with the logistics of what we can and can't do, we oftentimes talk ourselves out of helping in the first place. So at the very least, love might require us to listen first. And admittedly, I understand all those problems may come. Somebody might not want your help. Or the help you give isn't good enough for them. I get that. I don't, I, I'm a preacher. i got tons of stories. i got one more for you. We had a guy show up for, here at church. I thought I was offering the help that he needed, but as we rode down the road, the man got angrier and angrier to the point that I unbuckled my seatbelt in the back seat somebody else was driving in case I had to punch him to protect the driver. I, we were helping, but it was not enough. And he was getting angrier and angrier and crazier. And in that conversation in that car, I saw plain as day why the shelters wouldn't let him come anymore. I can't fix that. But we didn't start with, I won't help. Admittedly, once you start to help, you find where the limits are. But my challenge, I know Jesus' challenge for us is lead with love first then worry about the logistics. But the truth is, the love He's calling for, the action He's calling for, isn't natural to us. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I prepared and thought this through, and I thought about myself, and I thought about where some of you might be, I said, I want to love like that, but Lord Jesus, help me. I think to get that assistance It comes from the Holy Spirit, but we must get to the place where we say, Lord, I'm scared to love like this, but would you help me to love like this? He will help us. Finally, as Chad and the group come to play our last song, our song of invitation, perhaps as we've gone through this, you've heard a bit about how the Christian is expected to love. And I'll be honest with you, I think non-Christians... You want to love like Jesus does, but you're probably just like me. You know that it's not really in you to love strangers that way. People who have brought it on themselves. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus is called the great physician, and he likes to do heart surgery on us. And when we come to Jesus, we turn from sin, turn to him in faith as Lord and Savior. He does something amazing. He deposits the 
the Holy Spirit in us. And you may not understand all that, to be honest with you, some of it's beyond me. But the Holy Spirit works in us and transforms us. So when we turn from sin, turn to Jesus in faith, our sins are forgiven, making us right with God. And then we receive the Holy Spirit who makes our heart right towards our neighbors. This morning, if you'd like to receive that gift of salvation and that transformation, I invite you to make your way to the front. I want to help you call in Jesus. He will hear you and He will save you. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.